there is a saying, right? It's like, a, you know, uh, youth is wasted on the young, right? Yeah. Because we get to be so wise when we're older and we can't do anything with that wisdom. Um, yeah. But it's just through experience. And he has all that experience. So I looked at it from that standpoint. I'm like, right, that's how I want to treat people. When I come into contact with people, I want to make sure that I'm listening to them, yeah. that I'm not judging them immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't get upset about anything really. So like yeah. just not really getting upset, just being like, well, this is a situation that's not worth getting upset about. Welcome to My Movie Story. I'm your host, Brian McAleer. This is the podcast where we dive into the movies that have shaped us. Each episode, we sit down with a special guest to discuss their all-time favorite film, the movie that changed their life, and the one film they think everyone needs to see. Get ready as we journey through the cinematic worlds that make us who we are. This is My Movie Story. My guest this week is Wayne Gregoire. He lives in New Hampshire in the USA and movies have been a way of life for him as long as he can remember. His mum owned a video store in the late 80s before Blockbuster came out, and through that he has watched hundreds if not thousands of movies, and he loves all of them. Wayne recently ran a movie podcast of his own called Recasted, and you can check it out on Spotify. Well, welcome to My Movie Story, Wayne. It's great to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I'm excited to be on here. Talking movies is one of my favorite things in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. It's... uh, it's the thing we guys like us can probably talk about all day, every day. And if we could, we'd probably not get nothing else done. But uh, <laughs> a podcast is a good outlet for this. So absolutely. Um, so um, tell us a bit about yourself, Wayne. And and you're in the States, obviously. And you know, whereabouts do you live? And um, what, what do you do? Yeah, so I live in New Hampshire. So on the East Coast uh, of the United States, uh, one of the original 13 colonies. Actually, I think it might have been part of Maine when it was originally I don't know if it was one of the original ones, but the, uh, it's on the East coast. Uh, so anything, I'm probably an hour and a half, two hours from Boston. So if I really want to go see some history, I can drive down there, but I'm sure as you know, if there's anything historical around you, we just take it for granted as background noise. Um, Mm. I drive down the highway. I see, you know, Lexington and Concord is Mm. in Massachusetts. Mm. And I think to myself, as I drive past, I'm like, that's where this country was born. I should go check it out. And I never do. Yeah. <laughs> it's we never we never tour our own country, do we? Like I I I could I should tell you right now, I've been to Boston twice and I've done all the historic stuff. I walked through all the big university campuses there, probably went to areas I wasn't allowed to and had some security guard ask me what I was doing there and stuff. But and then I get people like from other countries come here and tell me of all the places they've visited. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, nah, never been there. Never been there. <laughs> and it's like an hour away from where I live. But but yeah, but I have been to Boston. Absolutely loved it. You know, um, did the whole historical thing and and um yeah. Um and at the time I when I first visited it, it was sort of two thousand and four, I think it was. And um I walked into Harvard and and discovered that the Natural History Museum was actually at the campus and that was free and that was really cool and and then accidentally walked past the Cheers bar not the not the one in the main area but the actual out exterior bar uh, that they use and then I walked downstairs and they were just about to close up unfortunately but yeah so it was a great city just to sort of walk around and explore and and uh, really really liked it there quite a few uh, good movies obviously have been set and filmed in Boston as well. Yeah. So yeah, I was, very I was cool. actually going to say, you probably uh, you missed out on an opportunity because I'm not going to lie. We're, we're all dumb Americans. And so like, if you were at Harvard where all the smart people are, you've got the accent, right? You could have just told them you were a professor and probably know what a question. Nobody would have questioned. Oh, that. right. Yeah. I didn't think, yeah, I'll do that next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'll go back and visit again. Yeah. 
Um, now we were chatting a little bit before Wayne, and you were telling me get, growing up that your your mum owned a video store, uh, and this was sort of a a place where you got to hang out, and discover movies. So yeah, tell us a little bit about the you, the video store days. <laughs> Yeah, it was actually pretty crazy. So we moved to Maine and my grandparents bought this, you know, little corner store that sold bread and milk and, you know, things like that. And my mom, I don't know how she got the idea. Obviously video stores existed at this time, but she got this idea. Like I'm going to buy a couple of brand new VHSs and I'm going to put them on the center rack when you first walk in the store. And so she started off with, I want to say like eight movies. And I remember one of them was Short Circuit. That was one of the first movies. Yeah, nice. And uh, yeah. she had that in the end. And then what happened is the movies started to rent really well. So she bought it, or she basically built a whole wall when you first walked in that was movies. But then that got too small. So she had to build a whole addition to the store that was a video store. Right. Um, and so it was the only video store in the county, pretty much. So if you wanted to rent a movie, you had to go to my mom's store to rent the movie. Right. And uh, right. the coolest, coolest part, she would do reservations. So like if you knew like, oh, you know, Wayne's World comes out on October 19th, right? Like you would go in there and say, I want to reserve a copy for the 19th. Yep. And you would they'd write your name in there. And yep. if you didn't pick it up on the 19th, you still had to pay for it. But it's like uh, you were reserving uh, it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always got to see them a day or two before they came out because she would get them and bring them home. Early access. Yep. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, I grew up. I didn't really. I was kind of a nerdy kid, so I didn't have a ton of friends. And so uh, my summers were like watching movie after movie after movie, some of them repeatedly. Um, and then, of course, when I got into sports, you know, sports movies became my thing. Basketball, right. baseball, hockey, soccer. I don't yeah. care if it's about sports. I'll watch it. And, yeah. And then one of your films we're going to talk about is a, is a famous sports movie, but we'll we'll come back to that. Uh, and yeah, your your love of movies obviously goes way back to the, those video store days. And and even now you like to um, do like movie quote trivia games with your with your daughter so yeah tell, tell, yeah tell us a little bit about that how does that work well so every night uh i go into my daughter's room before she goes to sleep and we spend about 10 to 15 minutes just chatting about whatever it could be school but it always inevitably ends up in television or movie quotes movie trivia <laughs> and yeah. uh, it, it's the point that both of us can quote some of the most obscure lines from movies that <laughs> if you were to hear the quote you would have no idea what movie it's from unless you're like a movie expert <laughs> right um, and so we do that and it's a fun time and, and me and my sister to a degree, my sister stopped watching movies over the last decade, but some of the older ones that we both grew up with, she knows a lot of the quotes, things like my yeah. cousin Vinny, we can probably quote the whole film. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's one I haven't seen in a while, actually. Yeah. I'll have to rewatch that. Okay. Well, um, can you give us one of those obscure movie quotes and I'll, I'll see if I can guess it. The more obscure, the better. <laughs> more obscure, the better. Okay. So uh, there's, I'll say this is. For the longest time, for over about 20 years, this was my favorite movie quote of all time. And it has since been replaced, but uh, it was for a long time my favorite movie quote, and it was, not a finger. Not a finger. Ooh, okay. So can I ask, is that sort of part of a larger quote, or is that just the quote on its own? It's the final quote of a scene. Not a finger. I'm st I'm stumped. I have no idea. It's actually from a, a Christmas story, and it's when uh, uh, the mom breaks the leg lamp, and uh, uh, da right, the dad's right, right. like, "You used up all the glue on purpose." And it says, "You know, my father was furious, but the only words he could muster were." And right before he goes out the door, he goes, "Not a finger." <laughs> that, that's it. Oh, nice one, nice one. Yeah. So it, it's yeah, it's, that's a good game because like once if someone doesn't guess it, then once you explain it, you're like, "Oh, actually, I do remember that." You know, so. 
but yeah, a good one has to really jog the memory because obviously there's all the really easy to remember quotes, but the root, yeah, to for the real test, those obscure ones, uh, they're good. All right, fantastic. Uh, let's kick it off. And I thought we might start with the film that uh, changed your perspective. And you've been kind enough to upload a background there to give a little bit of a clue as to what that film would be. Uh, so anyone who's watching this right now may have already worked it out. Um, if they haven't, though, uh, yeah, please tell us the name of that film and, um, yeah, just set it up for us. What's it all about? Sure. So uh, the movie, and I'll, I'll tease it a little bit and then I'll give you the title. Cool. And the movie itself takes place in New York and it's about a widower who is, you know, has time on his hands, needs something to do. And so he sees an advertisement to be an intern. Uh, that kind of gives it away. But it'd be an intern <laughs> at a... Uh, a senior intern at this uh, clothing place. Mm -hmm. And so obviously he's in his 60s, 70s, very out of his realm here with all these young oh, yeah, kids yeah. who are all interns. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously his experience and his wisdom and his knowledge helps kind of guide all of them in some way or another. And uh, that movie is The Intern with Robert De Niro and with Anne Hathaway. Fantastic. So you're Jules' new driver? No, actually, I'm her intern. That's hysterical. My intern sure keeps busy. Mr. Congeniality. Everybody loves him. You should dress to impress. Tuck in the shirt. Why doesn't anybody tuck anything in anymore? Oh, I'm asking you. I'm Fiona, the house masseuse. Thank you. <sighs> How's that been? Well, so that's that. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not as old as I thought you were. And uh, I watched it for the first time just just yesterday in preparation for this interview. And um, I, I was aware of it when it came up. And I guess a lot of people might get it uh, mixed up with the movie The Internship, where you've got Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson go and work at Google. And that, that I think they're only a couple of years apart or something. But obviously, this is a very different film and a very different Robert De Niro. You know, not he's really kind of playing like a character we haven't seen him play for a while. So, um, so maybe we could start where there. So, tell us a little bit about Robert De Niro and and what might people expect from him in this film, and how is it maybe different from the usual kind of characters that he plays? Yeah, the usual character I think you can expect from De Niro is, and excluding mafia type guys, yeah. is. De De Niro is always kind of like a very serious person. You know, he's a very hardcore, um, almost like if you had a stern grandfather growing up, he was probably that yeah, guy when you think of Robert De Niro. Yeah. And when you watch this film, he's warm and he's inviting and he's friendly. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, I mentioned to you when we were talking, you know, prior to this, just to kind of get to know each other a little bit. I'd asked you if you'd seen the movie Ted Lasso or the show Ted Lasso. And I know a lot yep. of people out there have. Mm -hmm. And what I said is that this has a very, very similar vibe. Right. When you watch Ted Lasso, there's not a lot of negativity. Yep. Uh, there's not a lot of, you know, drama. I mean, there's a little bit that you need, but not a lot. Sure. Um, yeah. And, but it's all about heart and, and just kindness and mm -hmm. being kind to each other. And this movie is all about relationships, right? Mm -hmm. It's about friendships, it's yeah. about relationships with girlfriends and boyfriends, spouses, uh, relationships between friends. Yep. Right. It's there's all the different relationships are tackled in this film and tackled mm. so beautifully. Yeah. And Robert De Niro is just the guy that watching this film, I want to work there and I'm just hanging on every word that he says because there's Absolutely. so much wisdom coming out of him. For sure. Yeah. And it's like not much really rattles him. You know, we don't really see him, you know, uh, you know, get serious, like you said. He doesn't sort of 
do anything he doesn't really do any wrong in this film and i think anne hathaway even says to him in the film how come you do and say everything right you know and yeah i guess that just comes with his 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 wisdom and and just shows you what a great actor he is because like it you forget you're watching an actor you know it's just so effortless and seamless his performance and you know and it's uh won't be one of his most iconic characters that we'll, you know, we'll remember him for, but it was, yeah, it was good to see him do something a little bit, a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and just in relation to, I guess, the sort of some, the plot of the film. So like you said, he, he's this older guy, he's retired and he becomes like this senior intern. So um, where, where does he work and, and the Anne Hathaway character, what's going on for her? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, she owns an online clothing business that she started herself, just saying, hey, I think that we should have this clothing business that makes it easy for women to shop online. Mm. So just a great entrepreneur that built this company from scratch, probably started yeah. in her, you know, her garage. Absolutely. And now she's yeah. got 120 associates in this loft and she's got warehouses and mm-hmm. she's just growing rapidly. And she needs to find a CEO yep. to run this company because it's getting so big. It's almost like getting too much for her. Right. And she's stretched yeah. in all these different directions. And I feel like where De Niro comes in and, and she's obviously very spastic, you know, she loses her time. She's, you know, she's always 20 minutes behind. She yeah, yeah. gives him, I think, I think it was it three minutes for their first meeting. She's like, all right, you have three minutes, go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No time um, for anything. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the beauty of it because I'm 44 years old. And I know like when I talk to people who are 20, 21, 22, I feel like Robert De Niro or Morgan Freeman giving them like this wonderful advice. Like I learned yeah. things that you think matter at 20, they don't matter at all. You don't Absolutely realize it until you get to your forties, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think he gets to come in there and kind of show her like, Hey, this is how you can do things and not be stressed out. Mm-hmm. You can treat people a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think that she just loves the old school mentality of him. Mm-hmm. And we come to find out later in the film that, he grew up for 20 years working in that same building selling yeah, phone books. That was, that was an interesting little twist. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I, when I saw that part, I was wondering if maybe he even targeted that internship specifically because it was the old building he worked in, or was it just a coincidence? Like, yeah, yeah, it was, that was an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts, like the opening scene um, where it's Robert De Niro sort of just narrating his life and all that. I thought that was really good. And the music in the film too, the score is, is lovely, like really nice music and complements, you know, what's going on and everything. So, um, yeah, just your thoughts and comments on that opening monologue where we meet him and he's talking about life and, and, and you know, what leads him to do this internship. Yeah, what were your thoughts on that? I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. just sucks you in right away, yep. grabs you by the heartstrings. He's talking about how he lost his wife. He talks about just trying to find things to do. His friends were now all older and they're passing away and he's going to all mm-hmm. these funerals. Mm-hmm. Um, and just where he ends it saying, you know what? He goes, I work really hard. Uh, I had to call my nephew to ask him what a, you know, a USB port was. Yeah. He, goes, well, he goes, but I'll get it. You'll see, you know? Yeah. And, and there's so many little one-liners that he says throughout the film. And I think the one that hits me the most actually is when he goes out to San Francisco with Anne Hathaway. He's accompanying her while she's interviewing a CEO. And uh, she's talking to him. She'd found out that her husband was cheating and they're having this heart to heart. Yeah. And uh, she says to him, she says, uh, you know, how long were you married? And he says, not long enough. Mm. Yeah. I thought that was just such a great line. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the, yeah, she sort of falls asleep and that, that movie comes on uh, 
um, that reminds him of his his wife and he, he starts to tear up and we finally sort of see the emotions come out because up until then he's he's been just sort of keeping it together to be strong for her and for all the other young adults who work at this company and yeah and then we see him sort of shed those layers and then when he discovers her uh her Anne Hathaway's husband is is cheating you, you get that sort of Robert De Niro look when he comes into the house he's just like like I know what you've done he, <laughs> and he, well, you just look at, that, he just gives you that look and you know you're in trouble you know <laughs> well and even that wisdom to know like it's not my place to say anything about this mm-hmm. but you need to do something about this yeah that's right it's like I know but I'm gonna let you admit what you've done and work out what you need to do to fix this but just know that I know and it's it's not good enough and it needs to stop so I think yeah so so much wisdom in his character like because quite often uh, older people can not all but some can be lecturing and condescending and make assumptions about younger people and think that they they're not capable of things you know and we've we've all done that ourselves at different stages of our life but he just sort of steps back and says you need to fix this problem you know and uh yeah without giving too much away towards the end when and Hathaway and her husband kind of you know um are reunificated and all of that he just sort of takes off he's like my job is done you know uh which i thought was a, a nice way to sort of end the film and all of that yeah. Um, and just given that you, this is a film you said changed your perspective, can you tell us a bit more about that? Like, in what way has it changed your perspective about, you know, life or aging or whatever it might be? Yeah. In so many different ways. And it, again, it's not like it's the first time I've read, you know, uh, the Bible or something. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's just, but there's all these little yeah. things. That, one of the things is just how to treat people, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that kind of goes back to the Ted Lasso thing and how he treats people, how De Niro treats people throughout this movie, and just showing compassion, listening to what they have to say, you know, not reacting, but just kind of absorbing and then using that. And that's something that we learn in life, all of us growing up. We learn a little bit more. There is a saying, right? It's like, a, you know, uh, youth is wasted on the young, right? Yeah. Because we get to be so wise when we're older and we can't do anything with that wisdom. Um, yeah but it's just through experience and he has all that experience. So I looked at it from that standpoint of like, all right, that's how I want to treat people. When I come into contact with people, I want to make sure that I'm listening to them, that I'm not judging them immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't get upset about anything really. So like yeah. just not really getting upset, just being like, well, this is a situation that's not worth getting upset about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And then of course, just as like I said, somebody who's older than a lot of these millennials, probably the people listening, hello millennials, yeah. um, you know, I'm a lot older. <laughs> Yeah. And so I look at him as kind of like the mentor to these kids. And I feel like that a lot of times because I work in the financial industry oh, right. and I work with a lot of 23 and 24 year old kids and yep. I call them kids, but like yep, yep. you listen to them talk and you're like, they just don't know anything. Like they need my wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. Like you, you get to this point in life where you, you naturally um, start becoming a bit of a mentor and a, and a helper. And, you know, I've, and I've experienced that myself being a, being a teacher slash trainer to young adult students in their late teens and early twenties. And yeah, th- things come up for them, you know, life challenges and, and yeah, you're there to help them get educated and get through the course or whatever it is, but life comes up and, it, and it's the same for the, you know, Anne Hathaway character. Once Ben gets a bit closer to her, he starts to get an insight into her life and, and see what's happening. So, so what do you think the film says about, you know, a, a working mum or a working parent trying to juggle that with this real high-powered career like 
do you think it's it's possible to really have both or do we go through phases of like one will dominate the other and like what what do you what's your takeaway from that yeah i mean i think that from my own standpoint i think it's perfectly fine whatever situation works for you and your significant mm. other and your family do that like don't let somebody else tell you what you should be doing because of x y or z yeah what i think that this movie does a really great job of is one they don't make the husband look inferior by being a stay-at-home dad no like it's yeah. that's his role she's the boss and you're never made to feel like it's a joke or anything it's very no. like this is our dynamic this is how yeah. it works yeah, it was done well and yeah. although you do see when he goes to when ben takes the girl to play with other girls and whatnot there is a little snarkiness from some of the stay-at-home moms about jules being a working mom yeah um yeah but i think that that is true in real life that that jealousy or that mm -hmm. you know snarkiness does exist um but like i said i don't feel like the movie took that tone i think it just showed it to us to let us know that it's there yeah yeah absolutely yeah it, it kind of hinted at a, a few things you know and like the the misunderstandings between generations like when he first starts working there and everyone's just kind of like oh you're you're an intern like you're old how old are you you know did you can you hear me you know like they make all these assumptions about him but he just keeps his cool he's just like it's all good because he knows like once they see him in action and once he gets going he's gonna have an impact on everybody and he does he has an impact on pretty much everyone in the whole business which is quite amazing um and yeah it was it was really cool to see just robert de niro playing a different character and and uh yeah, Anne Hathaway was great. You know, she's she's quite a versatile actress herself, and I thought I thought they had really good chemistry as well, um, which was which was good. You know, if it, if they didn't have that chemistry, I don't think the film would have worked. You know, I don't think it would have had right. the same impact. Yeah. And I think that they did that great job of having him immediately kind of be a protective mentor mm -hmm. to her. Yeah. And her, even though her personality when you, we first meet her is inclined to not accept that type of role in her life. Um, even she has Ben replaced. If we remember early in the film, she says, Hey, I want Ben off of here. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then eventually she realizes like, I need him back because he was like my rock. Like, yeah. so she goes and gets him back. That's right. Yeah. She, she kind of drops her guard and she's like, actually this guy's, he's helping me not just run the business, but helping me process everything that's going on. And And really that was the strength of the film is that he'd worked for so long. He'd come through life. He'd lost his, his wife. He was a widower but he still wanted to give something back, you know? And I think it goes to show that no matter how old someone gets, they're never obsolete. They're never useless, you know? And I think it's, he set a good example for how, like, once you get to a certain age, it's not like, oh, I'm done. I'm too old for this. I can't really contribute anything. It's like, no, whatever age or stage you're at in life, you can always contribute something. And you, you're going to get that backlash. Like at first people are like, aren't you too old for this? Or why are you doing this? You know, because they just don't understand but you know actions speak louder than words right like once he got going they're like oh where, where's this guy been all our life you know <laughs> so it was good it was a really positive message to the film yeah the other really great message i liked especially as it relates to robert de niro and and she says this uh when i say she in hathaway jules uh says at they're out drinking and she says man she goes jack's a real man you know like Harrison Ford and Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah. And she's right. Like, like De Niro is that kind of man's man yeah, guy. Absolutely. But I think that, again, what the movie did so well in that moment was, I think, growing up, at least in my generation, maybe it's different now, but my generation growing up, the man's man wasn't just Harrison Ford and Robert De Niro. They were mm -hmm. also 
homophobic and you know yes. chauvinistic and yeah. you know and i think that jack in the movie um or ben i should say ben in the movie <laughs> yeah is is yeah. soft and well-spoken and he is a man's man and he does like to drink scotch but he's not he doesn't belittle people and no. i think yeah. that like you can be a man's man but mm -hmm. without the toxic masculinity absolutely yeah yeah and i think what you what you've sort of talked about there is that he's got uh he's got that emotional intelligence you know that you can be a a hard-working uh, man, you, you can be sort of masculine and strong and all of that, but you can also be tender and, and caring and nurturing, and he, and he gets that balance really well. You know, he's just a really well-rounded character, um, you know, and you you believe he's, he's real because it's in the hands of, you know, Robert De Niro. He's just, you know, one of the greatest actors of our time. So, um, and just lastly on the uh, intern conversation, have you got a favourite scene from the film? Um, I, I love the introductory scene when he's doing yeah. the video thing. Yeah. That, that's so great. Um, I love the scene where they break into her mom's house to, oh, to steal the computer. Right. That was hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's right. I, I really, yeah, I, I was meaning to ask you about that scene. I'm glad you brought it up. Like it's yeah, a little yeah. Ocean's Eleven heist and they, the young guys think they're the characters from the movie. <laughs> that, but, that you know, he's actually, even when they park and he's like, all right, he's like, uh, was he's like Clooney, Affleck's brother. You're coming with me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he just kind of, he just gets into it. Gets it's like he'll do anything for Jules in this company, even if it means breaking into someone's house. And yeah, that that was very funny. That scene, I I did enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the intern, great film. Um, got to see it for the first time myself. So you know, thank you for introducing it to me and bringing it to my movie story. Um, now your next film is uh, your all-time favorite and you've kindly changed your background again so obviously it's a baseball film uh people can look closely they might even guess which film it is i can see a new york yankees top there um i'm not a big you know baseball follower so if i didn't know what film this was i'd have no clue who the guy is from the other team but <laughs> but i'll let you tell us uh what is this film why is it your favorite what's it all about sure so just like i did with the intern i'll give a little synopsis which is sure this is kind of an adult version of the bad news bears where you have a bad team that gets good. Yeah. Um, there is background drama, which is uh, the owner wanting the team to lose. Um, again, very much like Ted Lasso, um, right. but wanting well, the go. team to yeah. lose. Bit of a thing, and <laughs> uh, she puts together this team that's a bunch of ragtag guys that have never really amounted to anything. Young players who've never played in the league before, old players who should be retiring. And uh, they just kind of somehow gel and come together and, make a run and you know try to win the uh, the whole pennant right and that is uh, major league major league tom berenger zipper on your skirt stuck use your imagination charlie sheen these things make me look ridiculous seeing's the most important thing son how big is that important Corbin Burnson and Bob Euchre. Haywood swings and crushes one towards South America. Major League. That ball wouldn't have been out of a lot of parks. Name one. Yellowstone. <laughs> Major League, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Uh, a, f a film that I'd heard of. Um, and, you know, as a, as a film reviewer, I've got my own blog. 
and I've got a, a list of all these films I need to watch and review. And I made a list of all the baseball films because I'm going to do at some point I'll do a you know review of baseball films. So it was on that list to watch. And I've I've seen a handful of baseball films like Field of Dreams and you know the Sandlot about the kids who lose the ball to the giant dog and all that. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd never seen this and I didn't really know what to expect. But I watched it and I, I guess when it comes to American sports and sports movies, I probably like baseball the most personally. Um, I do enjoy basketball films. We've had a basketball film on this podcast recently, Coach Carter. Uh, we haven't had any football. Oh, we have had one football film. I, just, I should correct myself, but I won't say what it is yet because it may not have come out by the time people are watching this. But yeah, baseball films, um, obviously, there's something special about them, I think. Um, but yeah, you, you tell me, like, how did this film come into your life? And uh, yeah, what, what's the story there? Well, like I said, growing up, not a lot of friends, and my introduction to sports was Little League Baseball, like a lot of kids here in the United States. Little League yep. Baseball is t-ball. You start off kind of just playing baseball. Yep. And I, I immediately fell in love with the game of baseball. I mean, everything about it. Uh, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I mean, who didn't? You know, but we just, not because of the money, like it didn't matter. It was just the idea of playing baseball for a living and swinging the bat, the, the feel, the you know, the bat as you hit the ball, the yeah. smell of the grass after it's just been mowed and like, yeah. you know, the, the, the thud of a catcher's mitt. I mean, there's so many just nostalgia things for me. And so yeah. when the movie Major League came out, it was right around this time that I was just getting into baseball. Right. Now, I was young and there's a lot of very adult themes in this film <laughs> yeah. um, that were probably way too old for me. But I just <laughs> love the baseball part of it, you know, and right. yeah, um, yeah. as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate, you know, other parts of it as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, the first, maybe the debut film of Wesley Snipes, if I'm not mistaken, um, which I didn't know he was in it. So that was a nice surprise. I think it was one of his first films. Yeah, I think the first thing that I remember seeing him in was a movie with Goldie Hawn in the 80s called Wildcats. Right. Um, and it also had Woody Harrelson in it. And they would later go on to do White Man Can't Jump. Oh, uh, yes. Yep. And uh, Money um, Train. Yeah, they did a couple of Money Train. Together. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, a few movies right. together. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Major League was kind of like his his big break, if you will. Um, this movie landed him White Men Can't Jump because uh, mm -hmm. I actually interviewed the guy who was originally cast to play Sidney Dean in White Men Can't Jump. Oh right, and he got bumped because Wesley Snipes had a three movie deal with Paramount and they wanted uh, him in the title role. Oh, there you go, there you go. So just just the way it works, I guess, in the industry. Yeah, and it also stars Charlie Sheen, who was kind of already on the scene at the time, and had that uh you know that bad boy image that he uh was so well known for in the in the 80s uh and then obviously Tom Berenger um as well who um I haven't seen a lot of his films but you know he's he's good he, uh, I enjoyed his his character in the story there um so give us the setup because obviously this is based on real teams uh they they're the Cleveland Indians right um now I don't know much about the history of baseball but is the team portrayed accurately in the film? Like have Cleveland just had a, like a history of, of losses and not being very strong, or was this like a different version of that team? They have, I think Cleveland yeah. in general for all sports has kind of become like just a dumping ground of like, <laughs> okay. they haven't really achieved anything. I mean, back in the fifties, you had Jim Brown and the Browns did something. Mm. Um, and then other than that though, like the Browns were always trash. The Cavaliers were always trash. The Indians right. were always trash. And then, uh, you know, until LeBron came along and, you know, yep. pumped up the Cavaliers. Right. But right. Um, 
Cleveland was always just, in fact, in the movie Mr. Baseball, which is another baseball movie with Tom Selleck. Oh, yeah. Um, in the very beginning, they tell him that they're trading him to another team, and he goes, not Cleveland. Say it's not Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a bit of a <laughs> reputation then, yeah. It's just the okay. reputation of being a bad town. Um, right. And so when they show the newspaper clippings in the very beginning of, like, you know, they haven't won anything since 1948, like, that's legit. They really didn't. Right. Um, okay. Constantly, like, a bottom-feeding team. And obviously, they had permission from Major League Baseball to use all the actual teams, the A's and the Indians and the Yankees and yep. everybody. Right. Um, yep. So that's what this team focuses on, is the, is the Indians, the the owner, uh, Rachel Phelps. Uh, she has now inherited the team from her husband who died, Donald. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, she says, hey, I'm giving out, these are the players we're inviting to camp, to all the board of directors. And they're like, we don't know any of these guys, you know. <laughs> and uh, later, yeah. she's talking to the general manager. And she tells him, like, this team is going to help me relocate to Miami, to yep. which he replies, what are you saying? Some of these guys are furniture movers? <laughs> and uh, she talks yeah. about how, like, if the attendance falls below a certain point, yep. she can break the lease with the city and move the team to Miami. Right. And that's the goal. So she put together this team just to fail. Right. And so the film is really obviously about the players that she picked up and then yep. them kind of gelling as a team. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, that's that's a, yeah. It's, it's an interesting story. And I believe part partly based on a, on a true scenario. I think um, that happened around that time as well. Um, and yeah, like obviously the, the, the whole Cleveland team and sports scene, it's not like it's the butt of a joke in the film. Like you said, it was this sort of the, I guess the team that got the last of the draft picks and that sort of thing, but you know, they obviously they rise up and, you know, become sort of champions in the end. Um, but yeah, the, I guess the three sort of main characters you've got, Tom Berenger's character, you've got the Charlie Sheen character, Wild Man, and then the guy who was on LA Law, uh, Corbin Benson. Corbin was that Benson. His name? Yeah. yeah. So you've got these kind of three guys who are sort of at the center of the team, and to a, you know, to the side of that, you've got the Wesley Snipes character. So tell us a little bit about these three guys, what's going on, and and because obviously what happens for them is in, is integral to the success of the team, isn't it? It, it is. And yeah. again, I think when you watch the film, you'll recognize a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, in the locker room, you've got Pedro Serrano, who's the All-State guy. You've mm -hmm. got, um, you know, the the old pitcher, Eddie Harris. He's in the movie Rudy. He's like the the coach uh, of ten. Yes. He's in The Last Boy Scout. He's in a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so there's a lot of people. But, yeah, basically you've got uh, Roger Dorn is the veteran, which is Corbin Burnson's character. Yep. I actually have a, Robin, uh, a Roger Dorn jersey. I should have worn it for this. Um, <laughs> yep. But, uh, you know, he's such an asshole. I mean, I don't know if he I can is. say that in the show, but. He's such That's a jerk. In the, in the film. <laughs> and uh, he's a prima donna. In fact, they, when they introduce him, uh, you know, the, the manager says to the general manager, he goes, I thought you didn't have any high-priced talent. And the GM says, well, forget about Doran because he's only high-priced. He's, <laughs> he's just not, talent. Priced, yeah. not much talent there. No, yeah, I think he got um, used to the high life too much and dropped his game a bit, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> what the, uh, the film really focuses on is the Tom Berenger character, who's Jake Taylor. Mm -hmm. um, Wesley Snipes, which is Willie Mays Hayes, and Charlie Sheen, who is Rick Vaughn, aka Wild Thing. Yep. And the three of them, because they're the three most unlikely guys to make the team in the beginning. You know, Dorn's going to make the team. He's the veteran. He's got a big contract. Yep. Um, yep. But those three, it's like Jake might get cut because his knees are shot. Mm. He can't really play like he used to. He used to be an all star in Boston. Um, and then you've got Charlie Sheen, who was getting out of prison to go try out for the team. That's can't right, throw yeah. a strike to save his life. No. Um, <laughs> but he throws hard. And yeah. then you got Willie Mays Hayes, who wasn't even invited to camp, so they actually escort him out in the very beginning. <laughs> That's right. That was funny. They just they just lift the bed up and carry him out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, That's hilarious. The three of them kind of coming up 
uh, and recognizing their talent, but also the the veteran players kind of around them, you know, saying, hey, you know, we can all do this together. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And they all kind of, I guess it's really Dawn and Wild wild Thing, uh, Charlie Sheen's character, who, who butt heads a lot at the start. And then obviously they, you know, the a certain woman comes between the two of them. But uh, <laughs> it was interesting, though, uh, that without giving too much away, when that happened, that was sort of the motivation for, for Dawn, Corbin Benson's character, to finally start playing properly. Because he's like, oh, actually, you know, I've got the fame and the money and the the attention and all that, but you know, I'm going to lose my my wife here and and my respect because some guy's fooling around with my wife. Uh, and then he actually, at the end, he actually plays really well, uh, and we see them all step up. And there was that one other one other character I forgot to mention who I loved was I forget his name, but he was into the voodoo. Um, yeah, Pedro Serrano. Yeah, he was fantastic, wasn't he? Like his little subplot, how he had the locker with all the like black magic stuff in it that was great and and even he sort of ditched his superstition towards the end he's like all right i'm just going to do it myself and then they all kind of step up and you know start to play the game and all of that yeah so aside from the the baseball obviously what are what are some of the other subplots in the film or, or which one which ones do you like what, what what other aspects of the film do you like yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of everything. Obviously, Rick Vaughn's story is more of like kind of just a, a young, talented person recognizing that talent and achieving it. Um, you have Willie Mays Hayes, who's the uh, the loudmouth, outspoken, cocky yeah. guy, yeah. you know, uh, but it's funny. Like everyone laughs at him being cocky instead of being yeah, mad yeah. at him. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Behringer, it's really the comeback story, right? It's like, hey, you know, here's a guy. He was up at the top and he kind of came down and now he's trying to work his way back up to the top. Um, that's one of my favorite lines actually is when he's meeting with um, the lawyer's rich friends and uh, they say, you know, Oh, what team do you play for Jake? And he goes, the Indians and the lady yeah. goes, here in Cleveland. I didn't know they still had a team. Yeah. Goes, yeah. We get uniforms and everything. It's really great. <laughs> yeah. That's right. People are surprised that there's, that they still exist. He's kind of like, yeah, yeah. And I think he says they pay me the minimum wage. So it was like, he just shows up and plays, but yeah. So they all have that motivation to finally, lift their game a little bit because they've all got, either got something to lose or something to gain. And then that's kind of what gets the team across the line, isn't it? So, yeah. And, and the, I must say like the last 20 minutes, the games against the game against the Yankees, that was, that was awesome. It was like watching a real baseball game, you know, it was really, really well filmed and well done. Wasn't it? Yeah. It, it was. And, and obviously that does happen in real life in baseball when two players have, or two teams have the same record, they play each other in a one game playoff to see who actually goes to the playoffs mm. um mm -hmm. so that is a legit thing that has happened in the past right um, and i'm sure will happen again yep. the uh the thing that i think is funny about it and again when you watch this movie it, it, i've seen it over a hundred times and and i pick <laughs> up on just little things here and there yep so you got if you remember pedro serrano his big weakness is he can't hit the curveball right he can hit the fastball over and over but he can't hit the curveball that's right yeah and then in the very end, the Yankees, for their starting pitcher, they put a curveball expert out on the mound, and he does nothing but throw Serrano curveballs and keep striking them out. Yep. And at the end, of course, Serrano says, hey, I'm going to do this by myself. No voodoo, no nothing. And yeah. he hits one over the wall, right? Yeah. When you, watch that, when you watch that slow motion, there was no curve on that ball. I threw him a fastball. Yeah. And I think to myself, why after 12 straight curveballs would you throw this guy a fastball? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. I guess the pitcher just sort of got saw him like shift you know change his energy just got maybe just got overwhelmed and yeah who knows but uh it worked out for him which was great yeah yeah um and just 
I mean, there's lots of baseball movies out there, and obviously this is your all-time favorite. Is there any other honorable mentions? Any other baseball films that you like? Well, so here's the thing when I talk about movies, and I know we talked about my background in movies, and, and, and what we didn't mention is how seriously I take movie recommendations and, and movie ratings, right? Yep. So yep. I will tell people, Major League is my all-time favorite movie. Nothing even comes close, and it will never be dethroned. <laughs> but it's not the best baseball movie out there. You know, yep. There are better baseball movies. Okay. Um, yep. I mean, Bull Durham is a better movie. Um, I think that Field of Dreams, if you want to consider that a baseball movie, which it is, you know, I think that's yeah. a better movie. Great film, um, yeah. I, you know, there's there's quite a few of them that are, are really good, but this one's just funny, and it's just I, I love the humor in it. Especially, I think we didn't even mention the announcer Harry Doyle is oh, so yeah. funny on the microphone. He was great, um, yeah. <laughs> and he's a he's a real life announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers. His name is um, uh, Bob Uecker. Oh, okay. And so uh, yeah. Bob yeah. Uecker is an actual announcer, and, and he's he's got some of the the best lines in the whole film. He does. He really does. Yeah, like. Uh, like when he thinks there's nobody listen listening to the game, he's just like, who cares? You know, and he, he's trying to, he puts the microphone out to get the noise of the crowd cheering. And there's like three it's people like one clap. there or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he tried. He tried to lift the profile of the team and all that. And yeah, you know, they kind of just took care of business and it worked out for them. So, yeah. And and for yourself, who's your baseball team? Who do you follow? Um, I don't really have anyone I'm passionate about. Okay. Um, yep. Obviously, I live in New England, so I watch the Boston Red Sox. Um, oh, yes, yes. If they're on TV, I'm just looking for someone. But I'm not, like, emotionally invested. Like, if they lose, whatever. Sure. But, um, yeah. yeah, when I was growing up, my team was uh, the Chicago White Sox growing up. Oh, yeah. And uh, the reason for that was my two favorite players. One was Frank Thomas, a.k.a. the Big Hurt. Um, and then my other was Bo Jackson, who I think is the greatest athlete that ever lived. Mm -hmm. um, and they were both on the same team on the White Sox. And so that was right. my favorite team. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And when I was in the – I went to a baseball game, not – I was going to try to go to one in New York, a Yankees game. Uh, I was there with my friend and it was pouring with rain for two days straight and the, the game got washed out. And we got we got to the stadium and there was a security guard there saying, sorry, folks, game's canceled. We're like, oh. And that was like our only chance to go. But on a previous trip, I went to Canada, to Toronto, and I had a day just walking around Toronto. And it was the Yankees versus the Blue Jays, I think is the team. Yep. Toronto Blue Jays yeah and it was just like a friendly match like an exhibition match or something and and I went and was like is there any you know tickets available and the woman said yep up in the basically up in the nosebleeds section it cost me like I mean only seven bucks or something like that and I got my yeah. hot dog and a drink and I was way 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 up and it was definitely the nosebleeds um and yeah it wasn't a hugely eventful game but it was yeah it was entertaining I, I, I really enjoyed it um, and on that same day in Toronto, there was also a, a, a blackout. Um, so the game almost got delayed. Uh, so I hadn't had much luck with games, baseball games, but uh, go to watch them. But I, I did manage to go and see that one. So um, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, and do you have a favorite scene from Major League or a favorite moment? Oh, I mean, it, it, I love the, the whole movie. There's so many great scenes. Yeah. Um, and it really depends on what kind of mood I'm in, right? Is what I like. Um, like I said, Harry Doyle, the announcer, has. Uh, yeah so many great lines. I think one of them is when he's announcing the game and he goes, uh, for the Indians, we've got one run on, let's say one hit. That's all. We got one goddamn hit. Yep. His uh, <laughs> old guy says, Hey, you can't say goddamn in the air. He goes, don't worry. Nobody's listening anyway. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> that was Probably good. And then of course, I mean, 10 people listening. Uh, just the classic. Have you seen the movie? I mean, just, I get goosebumps still when, yeah. uh, you know, Brown's in the dugout. Just forget the curveball, Ricky, give him the heater. Uh, 
that's right yeah that coach was very very gruff wasn't he he was like it was a great coach. He almost kind of looked like he was just taking the piss out of it all, really. But <laughs> he, he was great. It was great. Yeah. And the team, they seemed like a real team, you know, and there was good chemistry, I thought. And there's a couple of sequels as well. Um, So I believe only the second one has the original cast in it. Is that right? The third Some one? Some of the original cast. Um, And, yeah. and the second one is nowhere near as good as the first one. Um, The third one's just absolute garbage. Okay. Um, so don't bother. But the, <laughs> the the second one again, you get Harry Doyle when he he's got a couple of you know snazzy lines, and uh, I'll spoil it because I really don't think anyone should go watch it. But okay. um, the the nemesis is there's a guy named Jack Parkman who plays catcher for the Indians in the very beginning. He's a big free agent signing, mm-hmm. um, and he does this little shimmy like with his shoulders when he's at plate, like he's getting ready to hit. And uh, Doyle's like, uh, he goes, hey, Jack Parkman at the plate doing his shimmy. It makes the women here in Cleveland swoon, right? <laughs> and then, like, later he gets traded to the White Sox and they have to play the White Sox in the playoffs. Right. And he goes, Parkman doing his shimmy makes the women here in Cleveland puke. <laughs> yeah, because it's just, like, not not appealing whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, well, look, I'll, I'll take your recommendation if it's not, if it's not a must watch, then, you know, um, I'll just stick with the first one because there's a lot of movies out there to get through. And sometimes the lesser mate, the lesser worthy sequels, just, we just don't have the time for them, but yeah, but you know, yeah. Major league, another film I got to watch for the first time. And, uh, you know, I guess if you're not a baseball fan, there's still something in it for, for, for general audiences. They'll, they'll find the, they'll recognize obviously famous actors. They'll know like, um, Charlie Sheen and Wesley Snipes back in the early days. And, I guess it's a good um, it's a good education on baseball, you know, because it's I guess you know in terms of it's got real players in there. It's set, you know, it's very sort of true to you know things that happen in the league and all of that. Obviously, a little bit exaggerated for the film, but but overall, it's a it's a pretty solid baseball film. So I th- I thought as well. So yeah, good good choice, very fantastic. All yeah, right. I think historically, uh, people might find it interesting. I found it interesting that Charlie Sheen was actually. Uh, a major league baseball prospect as a pitcher um, before he got into acting. Oh, really? And so they said for the filming, he could actually throw the ball around 89, 90 miles per hour. Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, yeah, he was actually, he was really good in the film. Like you could, you could tell he'd either done a lot of training or he just had that natural talent. So I had no idea. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're now on to your last film, Wayne, and this is the film you think everyone should see. Um, the, diehard fans of this film who are watching this video and can see the background have probably figured out what film we're going to talk about uh for anyone who can't see this or is listening to this uh this is a a much loved film for most people um it's a classic in every way it has been mentioned a few times on this podcast but has never actually been a film that we've discussed uh so now it has worked its way into my movie story and I'm going to let uh, Wayne tell us what movie this is and, and set it up. Yeah, for sure. So this is a film written by Stephen King, who, but hold your horses, not a horror movie. No. But this movie <laughs> does take place in a prison, not Green Mile. And this movie is a movie about a gentleman who is wrongly convicted of murder. Uh, he goes to prison. And we get to kind of see the trials and tribulations of prison, uh, whether it's, you know, being raped, being beaten up, um, corruption at the top, Mm -hmm. um, and all about hope and 
just holding on to that light, never letting that light fade. We do get to see what happens to people in prison when that light does fade, and that's prison is all they know, and he kind of holds on to that light. Yeah. Uh, his name is Andy Dufresne. His best friend's name is Red, and this movie is Shawshank Redemption. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I believe in two things. Discipline. Help me, God! In the Bible. Here you receive both. Andy came to Shawshank Prison in 1947. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you can fit right in. I must admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. There's something inside they can't touch. What are talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Damn it, dude, friend, you're putting me behind. Hope can drive a man insane. You better be sick or dead in there, I kid you not. I better get used to that idea. Oh, my holy God. Because it comes down to a simple choice, you know. Get busy living. Get busy dying. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. That's damn right. Fantastic. Yeah, such a such a brilliant film and um really glad that we've we've finally got it here on the podcast and we're going to try our best to uh talk about as much of it as we can in the in the time that we have and but you know if 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 we go over people i'm sure will forgive us because this is shawshank we're talking about here you know this is not a film you just quickly uh you know tiptoe around um it's it holds a very special place in a lot of people's lives and hearts and um, yeah, so um, everyone has a connection to Shawshank in some way, uh, and I think we can all probably remember how and when we first saw it and what it means to us. So, so take me back, Wayne. How did Shawshank come into your life? Can you recall the first time you saw it? I can, and it's actually yeah. going to be a really funny story. And I put it in my bio. And what it is is my family and I, when we were thirteen, I was thirteen years old. We took a Caribbean cruise uh, as a family, and. One, it was the first time I was ever introduced to palm trees. I'd never seen them in person before. I've lived in the Northeast my whole life. Right. Um, yeah. I was immediately smitten. And I said, I have to live somewhere with palm trees. Um, <laughs> and then the second thing was that I wasn't an adult. I was 13. So all the stuff that goes on on a cruise ship is about partying, dancing, drinking, you know, adult things. Of course. And yeah. so for me, I mean, there were stupid things. You could do like little kids night and a like game night. And I was like, I don't want to sure. do all that stuff. Yeah. So I spent hours and hours and hours in our cabin watching the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, about eight times, um, <laughs> just loving the film. Uh, yeah. And I loved it all through growing up. I, I owned it on VHS. I owned it on DVD. You know, it's just a movie I had to own. Totally and fair, obviously, yeah. there's a reason that it's number one in the IMDb rankings, number one in Rotten Tomatoes. It is the top rated movie for most people of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So you discovered it on a cruise ship. That's that's really interesting because miles away from the cold gray prison in uh, Maine where it's set. <laughs> um, but yeah, and a little, I guess, indicated any parents thinking of taking kids on a cruise ship. 
um there's a certain age where it works well for them and a certain age where they're going to be bored so so choose your time wisely <laughs> that's all i'm going to say and i'm sure uh, wayne can probably confirm that um uh, but yeah cruise ships aside um yeah we, we can all remember how this film came into our lives and it it, it just gets to you like straight away and uh, my introduction to it was in high school uh in i studied media as a subject from years nine to twelve every year obviously i'm a movie guy it was my best subject and we studied it we talked about it i wrote one of my final exams on the film um i've written various reviews about it i've spoken about it on other podcasts and you can always come back to it and discuss something new about it like each time you watch it you kind of pick up on something else and it still feels fresh it's not like a film you're like oh shawshank yeah i guess we can watch it it's like if it's on tv i stop what i'm doing and i watch shawshank like you know i'll be cooking dinner i'll be like oh sorry we're getting takeaway, you know, <laughs> let's watch the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll assume everyone who's watching or listening to this knows what Shawshank's about. But how would how would you describe it maybe to someone who hasn't seen it yet? Because we could have some viewers here who might not have seen it. And I think it's probably worth not revealing the fantastic twist at the end of the film, just in case, if that's OK. We might have some people who've not seen it, but there's a lot else we can talk about. So so how how would you sum up the Shawshank? To someone who might not have seen it right yeah like i said i think it's just somebody dealing with the darkness of prison life um mm-hmm. the fact that he's there wrongly you know which we find out in the very beginning yeah is that you know he's not supposed to be there but he just kind of takes it he's like you know what this is the hand i'm dealt i'm just gonna play it and really kind of just forging friendships finding his purpose in life i mean i think we see when he first goes to prison he doesn't know who he is what he's about um his whole life had been his marriage to that point and and now that's not there so it's him figuring out inside who he is who he wants to be mm-hmm. and he's got that guidance along the way of friendships and experiences that he has in prison as well as negative things but really what i'd say is the glue that holds this movie together uh is morgan freeman's narration oh yeah. because I do think that obviously everyone now knows Morgan Freeman. He's the voice. He's the narrator of everything, right? Mm -hmm. But before this movie, Morgan Freeman was, uh, you know, Mr. Clark from Lean on Me. You know, Mr. Sam's, right? He had that really intense. (laughs) That's right, yeah, yeah. And in this movie, he takes on a softer persona, and he's got just that smooth, velvety voice. Everything he's describing, Mm. you can feel it. You can smell it. You can see it. That's right. Um, He could narrate someone making a sandwich, and it would still sound amazing, you know? (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's great. So his his whole narration, I think, really brings the whole film together. It does. It does. He, he's really the he's the soul of the film. And look, it's Andy's journey, uh, played by Tim Robbins, and you know, and he's fantastic as well. But like, you just could not imagine this film without Morgan Freeman and his narration. And really, it was the film that sort of, like you said, it showed this other side to him and took his career to this whole other level. And how many films has he been in where he's the narrator? or like the trailer because we don't have the the trailer guy doing the voiceovers anymore i don't know what happened there but now you have like dialogue from movies used as the voiceover in a trailer to describe what's going on and if morgan freeman's in that film you're going to hear his voice on the trailer <laughs> you know and it's i think everyone would say who would you want to narrate the story of your life for and everyone's like morgan freeman you know without a doubt um so i'm sure people are queuing up to get him to record stuff for them and uh, you know, he's probably charging top dollar for that. It won't happen in our lifetime, unfortunately. I think even Mark Zuckerberg's um, home, like, Siri or Google Home voice is Morgan Freeman. I think there's some video on YouTube you can find of 
of Mark Zuckerberg. And obviously being Mark Zuckerberg, he got Morgan Freeman to personally uh, be his voice. You know, when you're a billionaire, you can do that kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, just coming, coming back to Morgan Freeman and, and just uh, the friendship between them is really, is such a crucial part of the film. And um, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, um, you know, what, what do we see Andy do to try and get through life in prison? Like what are some of the little projects he has and, you know, uh, without sort of giving away what it's all building towards at the end, but what, what does he do in prison? How, how is he spending his time and, and what's kind of the impact that he has? Well, Andy is one of the smartest people you'll ever meet. He's incredibly smart. Some of us know somebody like that. Some of us don't, but it's that guy when you're around him, you're like, man, this guy should be Warren Buffett. Like this guy should be, he's so smart. Like there's everything they say and they get everything. And Andy's that. And when you have that kind of intelligence in a place like prison, which is very mundane and monotonous, you need to keep your mind busy because you'll go crazy. Yeah. And so there's certain things like Andy starts off right in the very beginning. He wants, um, he wants a, a rock hammer so that he can polish rocks and, and make a chess set. That's yeah. kind of something to take up time. Um, he builds a library. He's like, I want to add books and shelves and, and build out a library and record mm-hmm. players. And so he yeah. finds things to kind of keep his mind. And then he becomes a tutor and he starts helping people get their GED and get into college and things That's like right. that. So yeah, he's just kind of finding things to keep his mind working and to stay busy. Um, and it's not really, a, I don't think, a spoiler for the end, but uh, he helps the warden launder money. That's kind of a thing that he yes. helps him do. So. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Yeah. Busy. Yep. That's right. The the warden sort of handpicks him and says, all right, you're going you're gonna to help me um, be rich, basically. And he's like, okay, well, I'll help you because it gives me something to do. But then, yeah, uh, he sort of pulls the uh, pulls a bit of a fast one on the warden and everybody else <laughs> without... I'd love to talk about the ending, but I just, um, part of me knows there'll be someone listening to this who hasn't seen the film. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll just be, we'll, uh, contain ourselves this time, but you know, maybe we could do a, a spoiler version of the Shawshank at some point, but <laughs> coming back to, I guess, the fact that it is a Stephen King story, um, which surprised a lot of people, I think when the film came out, because obviously he's known for his horror stories. Uh, did you read the short novella? Of the, I of didn't. The I know it was part. It was part of four uh, four stories in this one book. Yeah. Three of which have been made into films. Um, right. Yeah. One of them was the body, which became Stand by Me. Um, one of them was Apt Pupil, fantastic yeah. movie with Ian McKellen and the Brad Renfro. That's right. Yeah. And then um, this movie was the one of the third one. It was called um, uh, what was the Rita Hayworth uh, and the Rita Shawshank Hayworth. Adventure. That's right, because he has the Rita Hayworth poster in his in his uh, prison cell. Yeah. Um, and uh, are you a Stephen King reader as well, typically? I've read a few things. So I did read The Green Mile long before it became a movie. It actually came out in, in uh, chapters. So you had to right. get the first book, you read it, then you get the second book, and you read it. Um, and so I read all of those, and I couldn't wait for the movie to come out. And um, it didn't disappoint. The Green Mile is a great movie as well. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also written by Stephen King, also directed by Frank Darabont, and also yeah. taking place in prison. That's right. Um, Yep. So very good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I often want, I'm not sure. I think he probably wrote Shawshank Redemption first and then thought, well, I've, I've explored this world here. I want to go back to the prison and, and tell another story. And I think that's probably what gave birth to the, to the green mile. So I don't know if he's got a third novella or story that's set in prison, Stephen King. I'm not, I don't think he does. It'd be interesting if he did, if we had like this trilogy of, of prison films and, 
you know, in I guess in the Stephen King universe, it's a lot of it is all set around Maine and New England and places yeah. like that. Um, so I, I'm sure they're sort of all interconnected in in some way or another. Um, but yeah, I think this is um, it's interesting. Stephen King's short stories tend to make the best movies as well. <laughs> I think his longer novels can be quite hard to get right as a film. You know, is that what, what's your take to... on that? Yeah, I think it's hard to make horror movies good if that's a thing and obviously he specializes in horror because horror is predicated on jump scares mm -hmm. and it's hard to when you're reading the book it or you're reading the book uh, the shining you know yeah. or even uh needful things i love the book needful things growing up right there's an element of reading it that scares you you feel afraid in your mm -hmm. living room reading this book you mm -hmm. know and I feel like horror movies aren't able to capture that. Yeah. So with something like the Shawshank Redemption or the Green Mile or Stand By Me, right? There's no supernatural elements. There's no jump scares. It's just human emotion and drama, which I think is easier to convey in film than fear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's there's been a few exceptions of, of his horror books that have made good films, but most of them are a little bit, yeah, a little bit hokey. But they're fun, you know, and uh, I think over over the years, people have gotten better at adapting his novels. They've learned from the previous, you know, um, adaptations, which haven't always been very strong. But, I mean, Shawshank, it's got to be, you know, one of his greatest stories and probably one of the best film adaptations of, of Stephen King's work ever. Uh, and, yeah, it just showed this whole other side to his, uh, his writing, which um, people didn't expect, which is great. Um, and then coming back to the central theme of the film, which we, we can talk about, which is really about hope, you know, so how is this film, I guess, uh, you know, a, a fable of, you know, like hope or the hero's journey or anything along those lines. And, and, you know, what, what does it, what does it say to you about hope? What do you get out of it? So, yeah, I think that, you know, Andy talks about this with Red at the lunch table when they're talking about hope. And it's because Andy had just spent some time in the hole about a week because he had played the music over the loudspeaker. Uh, and, yeah, love uh, that scene. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his friend, one friend is like, hey, you couldn't play any Hank Williams while you're up there? And he goes, they busted down the door before I could take requests. They said, oh, he goes, uh, he goes, must, man, a week in the hole is tough. Well, no, they go, week in the hole, that's tough. He goes, easiest time I ever did. Mm. And they said, there's no such thing as easy time in the hole. Because now I had Mr. Mozart up here and he points to his yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's telling Red, he goes, you know, it's hope. And Red tells him, like, listen, hope's a dangerous thing and you better let go of that. And, yeah. and he says, here, hope is the most important thing. It's all we have. Yeah. You know, and you really think about that when you think about Andy's journey and you think about how he got there in the first place and everything he's had to endure, all the abuses he's had to endure and the friends that he's lost and everything. And for him to be behind these prison walls and to still have not done what we think he's going to do at the end, you know what I mean? It's like he would have done that five years in if he didn't have hope, yeah. you know? And I That's think right. that the hope is what carried him through all those years. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And, and 20 years, I mean, like, God, the patience and the resilience of that character was just incredible. And uh, yeah. And, it's a really key scene you just mentioned there where they're sitting, you know, they're sitting at the cafeteria table or the, the eating area. And then you see that side of red turn where he's like, don't talk to me about hope. You know, like I'm, I'm in prison. I've accepted that. I've made peace with that. There's no place for hope here. 
you know, because Red even says it himself, and they talk about Brooks as well, who we, we see in the story, that the that sense of being institutionalized, that once you're institutionalized, it's like, well, you don't need hope anymore because you've just accepted this is where you are in life and this is where you're going to be. But, you know, when he does come out, he he sort of discovers that secret message from Andy and he's like, well, hang on, maybe, maybe there is a place for hope. And then he, he follows the the clues and he, you know, uh, to where he needs to go. And it's just, oh, it's, it's got to be just one of the best endings of a movie ever, you know, um, with, and with it's that. funny that you well, mentioned <laughs> that you mentioned that because that was not the original ending of the film. Mm. Um, in the book, uh, the movie ends with red saying, you know, I hope the Pacific is as blue as it's been in my dreams. I yeah. hope you know yeah and that's out the end yeah right? um and they said that test audiences came out so furious at the ending of the film because of the fact that this movie really drags you through some crap literally and figuratively it yeah. really drags you through it it does and yeah to to give you that ending you know i mean they had to, i mean they, they brought the actors back and they shot the ending that we know yes and it's perfect and it's, it, it, it you needed it absolutely it's 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 just like the perfect ending to the film and you know and uh you know the, the music as well you know was, there was just so much talent involved in this film you know you had the story of Stephen King you had Frank Darabont who was early in his career but like what a what a director you know and he's only directed a handful of films but they're always really special you know then Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins and then you had the music of Thomas Newman who would go on and do American Beauty and meet Joe Black and some of the greatest movie scores ever so it was just a combination of great talent and and interestingly this film which you probably know this as well when it first came out it didn't do very well it kind of bombed critically and commercially um but then grew went on to have this massive cult following yep yeah once it hit uh, the DVD slash VHS shelves it was one of the most rented movies out there like everyone Absolutely. was yeah. And it happens to some movies, you know, and yeah. uh, this was yeah. one of them that, I mean, yeah, it didn't get nominated for any Oscars or anything. It didn't get nominated for anything. It yeah. kind of flew under the radar. It was, wasn't made with a lot of money. No. Um, no, and plus, again, you're attaching Stephen King's name to a drama rather than a horror. People are like, I want to go see a Stephen King drama for. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was known for horror at that time. But then later in life when people watched it and they're like, wow, like, have you seen Shawshank? You know, and, 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 you know in, i did a podcast for it a couple of years ago and the one of the um, people who was on the podcast hadn't seen it before you know they'd only just watched it a couple of days before then um and you know it's amazing to i love seeing and hearing people's reactions when they've they've told you they've just watched it for the first time and they're just like wow you know like what a movie and it is it's it's a movie that just gets past your defenses and like you're probably the same if you if you see it pop on TV, even though you and I both have copies of it on DVD and everything. Oh, it's on TV. Stop everything. I'm watching Shawshank Redemption. You know, it's just like nothing else matters at that time. You just have to. And you, if if you've seen it, it doesn't matter what point in the film it is. You can jump in and be like, oh, yeah, because the story is just flows so perfectly, you know. Um, so, like, yeah, Tommy just got there. I'm in. Let's watch it from where Tommy got in. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, or at the end, once they discover what's happened, the big twist reveal is, is you know, some of the best, you know, movie making ever, I think. And just and you're just sitting there going like, oh, yes, so, so good that, you know, he he finally the plan just all comes together. And then and then, uh, you know, Red's narration sort of piecing together all the little things that Andy had been doing for 20 years. And you're like, ah, 
like his his grand plan it's just so satisfying you know such a satisfying ending yeah and I will use the one disclaimer or caveat that I would say, because I do think Shawshank is the perfect movie. It's fantastic. It deserves the five out of five. It deserves a 10 out of 10 that it gets. It is more of a guy movie than a girl movie. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. It, it, and I, I only say that because I, there's certain movies, like my wife doesn't like Shawshank at all. Like won't watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's because she has bad taste in movies, although she's not really a movie person. Sure. But it's like, I watch Field of Dreams. If you're a guy and you watch Field of Dreams, you cry. That's it. That's it. There's no, yeah. you know, we all have that connection with our dads and oh, it just sure. hits us. Yeah. This movie, because we all have that one guy friend who's like our brother and that's what Red is to Andy. It's like his brother. Yeah. And so we yeah. feel that as guys, I don't think women make that connection with the two characters like we do. No, no, definitely. That is, that is an aspect of the film, obviously. Yeah. And there's only two women in the whole film like you you see his wife at the start uh and then the woman at the bank towards the end other than that it's it's a completely male cast isn't it because obviously yeah this was prison in the you know 40s 50s 60s um no women working there um you know and uh yeah it's um you know it's an it's a, a film that's still i mean it warrants so many rewatches. you can watch it again and again and still appreciate it and still enjoy it. Yeah, and that's a reason why it's um, one of the most respected films of all time. Um, you know, and obviously we could t- talk about it forever, but, uh, you know, all good things must come to an end. But um, do you have a favourite, uh, aside from obviously the ending, which is just a masterpiece, but uh, do you have any other favourite scenes or moments from the film that really stand out for you? There's a few, um, again, I do get goosebumps when he plays the two opera singers um, yeah. over, and everyone stops in the prison and is just listening yeah. to the point that actually Powerful. when my wife was pregnant with my daughter, I got that song to play on her stomach so that she could hear that because it's such a beautiful All army. All right, cool. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Absolutely. But probably my favorite scene where if you're like, all right, if you stumbled it on this scene, you're sitting down, is when they're tarring the roof. And Andy says, Mr. Hadley, do you trust your wife? <laughs> and that's that yeah. whole scene the way it starts off um yeah. clancy brown by the way fantastic in that role as yeah. officer headley uh yeah clancy brown really good you know and he, and he's so imposing isn't he like he you you feel like he is going to really throw andy off the roof at that point you know it's, it's such a such a great performance yeah absolutely and a few other actors pop up in in this that you see pop up in other frank darabont films as well like william sadler uh is a regular in um and the guy who played Brooks, he showed up in a couple of other Frank Darabont films as well. Um, so, yeah, he likes to work with a lot of the same people, which is great. So, mm. all right. Well, that's Shawshank, and I think we've we've done it justice. You've described it beautifully without us giving too much away, which was hard, I understand. So thank you. I, I, could have, I would have loved to have talked about the ending with you as well, but I, I feel there's one person watching here who's like, Awesome. I'm going to go watch Shawshank and they're going to see the brilliant ending and thank us later. So if that's you listening, pop it in the comments, but don't spoil the ending for anyone else, please. Because <laughs> you know, It just takes away me, the magic. There are certain movies uh, that have those twist endings. Uh, again, if you haven't seen it, uh, The Usual Suspects has that uh, oh, twist ending to it. But so I will good. say this, and, and I think it might be the greatest twist ending in the history of cinema. However, when I watch The Usual Suspects a second time, mm. I think it's a boring movie. Once you know the ending, it's just right. a boring movie. With yeah, it kind film, of takes away. Even the when you know it, you can keep yeah. watching it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And another one that comes to mind is the sixth sense, you know, which another great twist and you, you can go back and enjoy that as a film, even when you know where it's the ending's going and all that. So if the ending's done right, you can go back and watch it time and time again. But there are certainly some other films there that once you know the twist, you're like, okay. And you may never watch it again or watch it with the same appreciation, but yeah, Shawshank, you can just, you never get tired of it. You can just watch it over and over and over again. So yeah. Um, so yeah, and wrapping up, thanks very much for being on my movie story. It's been a great, a great conversation. And um, I'm sure, you know, people who've either seen or not seen these movies will definitely get a lot of value out of it from how well you've talked about them and all the different themes we've covered. So um, yeah, thanks. It's been a, a pleasure having you on the show. Absolutely. Been a great time on here chatting about movies. They'll do it anytime. Excellent. All right. Take care.